Good morning. You're listening to Seek the Word Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Ritchie, pastor of Grace Community Christian Church in Plymouth, Indiana. Seek the Word is a ministry dedicated to scriptural authority and biblical truth. Seek the Word Ministry is available on iTunes and Podbean, as well as the Seek the Word Facebook page. We invite you to like the Seek the Word Facebook page, as well as follow us on our YouTube channel at GC3Live. I would like to to plug a couple things here. Um, Father's Day is coming up. And if you're looking for a gift for your father or for your husband um, or, or, or the man uh, in your life, um, ladies, children, um, if you, with Father's Day coming up, The Legacy by Stephen J. Lawson is an incredible book. Um, it really is what every father wants to, it's about what every father wants to leave his child. And, and, and Stephen Lawson is an amazing pastor and an amazing writer. And his whole book is about the legacy that we leave our children. And we are all leaving. As fathers, we're all leaving a legacy. And it's going to be a good legacy or it's going to be a bad legacy. And, and, and we should desire for it to be a godly legacy. And, and it's just scripturally sound. And it, the, the chapters drive you back into the scriptures. And I just can't speak highly enough about this book. Um, I can't endorse it enough. Uh, also, I would like to say, um, talk about a book by Dr. John MacArthur, which is The Gospel According to God, which is all about Isaiah 53, um, which is funny. We'll be discussing Isaiah 53 a little bit today. Uh, another wonderful book, though. And uh, also, I'd like to, to say we've been, of course, uh, it's been a few weeks since our last podcast. We had a little break as we recorded some some new episodes, and, and we're um, trying to, to fix some bugs and, and look at a few things. And so we're, we're back. We, we have a few episodes in the can right now and, and going to be uploading those. Um, again, we have uh, a few future episodes coming up. We'll be talking about uh, total depravity. We'll be talking about unconditional election, um, limited atonement, um, irresistible grace, perseverance of saints. Uh, these will all be topics we will be we'll be looking at and discussing from a biblical standpoint. Uh, today, though, with our our first uh, episode back from the break, I really wanted to 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 talk about something that's been somewhat troubling uh, to me over the last few years. Uh, a few years back, I became aware of an issue within the church that startled me. It was an issue that in years past I would have never imagined was controversial in any manner. It is one of the tenets of the Christian faith and what the church believed on this matter, I took for granted that it was a unanimous view. I could not be more incorrect in thinking that everyone who claims faith in Christ holds to the same view, and that's a biblical view of the atonement. Now, this is an issue that is exclusive to those claiming faith in Christ. I mean, non-believers could care very little for understanding any aspect of Jesus' death. But for believers, as we navigate the doctrine of the atonement, we are led by some pretty heavy questions. Why did Jesus have to die? What did his death accomplish? And how, in fact, did his death accomplish that? 
We first have to have an understanding that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, at cross and bodily resurrection three days later are the centerpiece of all history. Now, in all fairness, there have always been, at least all throughout the church age, there's always been competing views on exactly what the atonement meant and what it accomplished. Before we get into to our view and our doctrine on the atonement debate, I, I want to first just mention in, in passing a couple of those other views uh, from the past. Because there's the Christus Victor view, which was uh, Latin for Christ the Victor. And this view emphasized how Jesus' death and resurrection defeated Satan and thus set mankind free from Satan's rule. After the Middle Ages, this view became less prominent than it was in the earlier centuries. There's then the satisfaction view of the atonement. And in that view is which Christ's death satisfied the, the, the canyon, so to say, between God and mankind by paying the penalty which mankind owed. This view saw Christ's death as more reparation for God being done wrong by mankind. In the subjective view of the atonement, the primary purpose of Christ's life and death is to be an example for us on how we are to serve and our willingness to sacrifice for others. Now let me point out, while all of these views on the atonement differ, and over the centuries have been stronger at certain times rather than others, these views all still hold that the atonement, the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, did happen and needs to be taught. We hold to, as the majority of evangelical Christianity today, the penal substitution view of the atonement. This view holds that Jesus took the punishment all humanity deserved because only in this way could humanity be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. Christ was the perfect sacrificial lamb because the wages of sin are death, as the scripture tells us. And for our sins to be forgiven, there needed to be a perfect sacrifice. But sin has corrupted all mankind in every aspect of mankind. So God, being a perfect God, demanded perfect payment for our sin. It's a payment mankind could never be able to make. So God provided that perfect payment in the form of himself, his son, Jesus Christ, who was spotless and perfect without sin. So Christ took our punishment as a substitution. We deserved the punishment, but Christ took that punishment instead. Now, we, we struggle because for us to fully understand that Christ, what Christ did on the cross we have to understand the dilemma in which God had in wanting to save and reconcile his people to himself for eternal fellowship. So he wants us for eternal fellowship, but at the same time, we, being mankind, had been completely corrupted by sin, and in our sinful state, we have enmity with God. We hate God in our sinful state, in that we all fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. Look at Look at Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We are children of wrath, and that wrath is directed at God when we are in our sinful state. 
before coming to Christ, we have a wrath towards God. We don't even, we don't even understand that at times when we're in that state. That's how corrupted by sin we are. Romans 3, 9 through 12 um, lays out that no one is righteous, not one. No one does good. And, and there's this misconception, even within the church, that overall people are generally good, not according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures tell us that the, the people, all people, have been corrupted. All mankind has been corrupted by sin. None do good. None are righteous apart from God. So God, on one hand, loves us perfectly on the other hand, he is perfectly holy and cannot have anything to do with sin. Habakkuk 1.13 tells us God cannot even look upon sin. He can't even look upon evil, which is what sin is. The only position a perfectly holy and a perfectly righteous God can have on sin is one of holy rage. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Listen, there are those even in the church who look at the view of God, that, that view, the view that God has of sin, and they claim that that seems harsh. But that should only reveal to us how fallen we are when we've become accepting and dismissive of sin. To see God's stance on sin is, as anything but perfectly righteous would be proof of not understanding sin or holiness. And I think that the, much of the problem in our church today is that people do not understand sin. They don't understand that God detests sin because in our fallen state, we've become so dismissive of it. It's easy for us to, to we passively say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm a sinner. But we don't understand the depths of rage that God has against sin and how that sin separates us from God. Sin is completely antithetical to God's very nature. It is impossible for God to ever excuse or justify sin, any sin. So because sin is against the very nature of God, those whom practice it are against the very nature of God, and they must be punished. They must atone for their sin, but because mankind is not perfect and has been corrupted by sin, mankind cannot atone for their own sin because the atonement made to a perfect and righteous God needs to be a perfect atonement. But not only is God a perfect judge, not only is God perfectly holy and perfectly righteous, he is perfectly merciful and he extends perfect grace. He extended that grace by providing the perfect payment needed to atone for mankind's sin. We deserve to be punished for our sin, but rather Christ took that punishment. He was the perfect atonement. The Old Testament prophets even told of Christ's coming to be this payment. In Hebrews 9.12, we find that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. In Isaiah 53.5, it tells us the Savior would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53.6, God would lay on him the iniquity of us all. 
Isaiah 53.10, his life would be an offering for sin. You see the theme here? Isaiah 53.12, he would bear the sin of many. God is clearly stating that the Messiah's life has one of, uh, is one of perfect sacrifice for the atonement of mankind's sin. Christ was the substitution for us, receiving what he did not deserve, but rather what we deserve. Now, that view of atonement, the penal substitutionary atonement view, is the prevalent view throughout Christianity and has been for centuries. So you ask then, where's the controversy? The scriptures could not be more clear on supporting this view of the atonement. But in the last couple decades, there has been a growing movement within the Western church. That's us here in the United States. But it's not exclusive to us. But that movement denies the penal substitutionary atonement view and desires to see its teachings stricken from the church. Understand, we are not talking about non-believers in the secular world who argue against the atonement. I'm speaking about pastors, church leaders, and a growing number of self-proclaiming Christians. And this is very troubling because this doctrine is at the very heart of the gospel. It is so important that we get this doctrine right. This is one of the things that we go to the mat on as Christians. Now, understand that resistance to the penal substitutionary view is nothing new. In 1922, Henry Emerson Fosdick, preaching at the First Presbyterian Church of New York City, gave a very direct sermon entitled, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? In his sermon, he proclaimed that fundamentalists wanted to define Christianity by specific doctrines. He was quite the liberal thinker, and he rejected most of the traditional doctrinal views. His sermon questioned not only the atonement, but also the view of the virgin birth, certain miracles performed by Jesus, and even that the scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer stated that the penal substitutionary atonement was a distinguishing mark of the worldwide evangelical fraternity. With great assurance, he wrote this, that the dominant view was the penal substitutionary atonement, and anything outside of that was outside the bounds of Christianity. Unfortunately, that view was not shared by many making waves in the church in the decades following the 1970s when Packer had written that statement. There was a conference in Minneapolis in 1993 called Reimagining God. During the conference, Union Theological Seminary professor Dolores S. Williams stated, I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all. I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff. She pushed that the Christian church should do away with the doctrine of atonement altogether. This denial of the doctrine of atonement reveals her distorted view of sin, if she has one at all. She, by her claims, does not have faith in a perfectly holy and righteous God who requires a penalty for sin. She later claimed, Forgiveness does not come through blood sacrifice, but through compassion and solidarity. I, I have no idea what Bible she's reading, but it is not the Holy Bible containing God's word. And the scary thing is, she's a professor teaching this anti-biblical view. 
By the way, she also formulated a heretical theology based on her own views called womanist theology and recorded the heresy in the book Sister in the Wilderness, which I can only suggest anyone with a copy of that run from it fast. Listen, the scriptures are very clear on this, that a holy and righteous God must demand a full penalty for our sin. He demands a penalty and he provides the payment. If this is not the very foundational level of our gospel, then it is a false gospel being preached, which means to reach people on an emotional level so that people will think that God's okay and that they may be more willing to accept a God who demands nothing. But if we are true to the actual gospel message of the Bible, we must preach and share the message that God demands sin be punished and being holy and righteous demands atonement for that sin. Also that God provided that perfect atonement in our, the sinner's place throughout Jesus, through Jesus Christ who died for us, paying in full the penalty in which we owed for our sin. He became our sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus took our sin, and he imparted his righteousness to us. That was this is transaction that happened on the cross. But this is the problem. We have people claiming to be Christian or who claiming to who are claiming that they are Christian, but they want to rewrite and redefine the gospel. In 1994, authors Clark Pinnock and Robert Brow co-wrote a book titled Unbound Love, a Good News Theology for the 21st Century. The whole purpose of their writings were to reshape and redefine traditional evangelical theology. They disagreed with the doctrine of inerrancy of Scripture, and they claimed that substitutionary atonement was bad news, not good news. So they believed the only way to make the gospel more palatable for the masses was to rewrite and reshape its very core doctrines. Now in 2000, Joel Green and Mark Baker had written the book titled The Scandal of the Cross, and they're not shy about their desire for writing this book. Early on, they write about wanting to encourage Christians to accept other models of the, of the atonement rather than the substitutionary model. In 2003, authors Steve Chalk and Alan Mann wrote The Lost Message of Jesus. They refused to accept the penal, the, 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 the penal substitutionary atonement model because they believe it makes the cross out to be, in their words, a form of cosmic child abuse. This book was endorsed by heretical teachers such as N.T. Wright and emerging church darlings or darling Brian McLaren. Listen, we must understand that this is directed at pastors, teachers, anyone attempting to disciple anyone. The very foundation of our understanding of the cross from scriptures is penal substitutionary atonement. The central message of the scripture is that of, is that of Christ's act of substitution in our place. We cannot change the gospel message without rejecting the gospel message. We can present the gospel correctly and biblically without directly addressing our, or we cannot 
present the gospel correctly. We cannot present the gospel biblically without directly addressing our sin and God's grace extended us through Jesus Christ. Listen, as fallen humans, our desire is never to see ourselves as the wrongdoer. We always in our sinful nature want to recognize ourselves as the victim. But we are not the victims of the scripture. We are in fact the perpetrators in the scripture. God is just and the justifier, as Romans 3 makes that very clear. Those fallen, depraved hearts living in this fallen, sinful world need to hear the truth of God's word. They need to hear that they suffer from a condition known as sin, and it has corrupted every aspect of them, and that condition is terminal. But there is hope because there is a Savior who saves them from their condition. Jesus Christ took the place of all those who come to saving faith in him, so they will not know the condemnation of their sin, but the rewards of Christ's sacrifice. As Christians, we, as pastors, as teachers, as those whom take the light of the gospel out into this dark world, we can never allow those who want to diminish the gospel denying its very truth and power. We preach the gospel. We preach the scriptures. We preach the truth. Thank you for listening today. We ask you to like us on Facebook and remind you to to subscribe to our iTunes. If you are in Plymouth, Indiana area and in search of a church, we want to invite you to Grace Community Christian Church at 612 East Jefferson Street behind Peregrine Heating and Cooling. Service times begin at 11 a.m. We hope to see you. Thank you, and God bless.